Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Matt. Hello, uh, my name is Matt. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, to qualify for the newcomers or anyone who hasn't heard my story over and over and over again, I have seven years of abstinence. I'm down 160 pounds from my top weight. I used to weigh over 340 pounds. Um, and I'm from Virginia, so when I heard of Virginia was here, I was like, I'm from Virginia Beach. I have a picture to qualify that I'll pass around for you guys. Um, it's funny, I've been on these podcasts several times, and then I meet people in different circumstances or um, people who I've never met before, and they just hear my voice, and they're like, you're that guy from that podcast. How was your wedding? I'm like, I'm divorced now. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, uh... <laughs> There needs to be a disclaimer that these podcasts are just one portion of a person's life and that we do change. Um, um, I've been, like, going through a lot, like, this past year and um, done a lot of crying, a lot of realizations, and I guess uh, it's kind of about what happened, what it's like, you know, my experience, strength, and hope. And um, I guess the first thing I just want to start with about the reason why I'm here today is because the people who I met when I first came into this program, they spoke with a sense of confidence about the fact that this program could work. They spoke with a sense of no nonsense, no bullshit, that this program can work if I'm willing to work it. And um, those kids are kind of annoying, I'll be honest with you. Um, Thank you. And to be really honest, I think that, honestly, as a compulsive overeater and as a 340-pounder, that is not my, my um, idea that I'm allowed to speak up and say that this isn't working. But it's not working. And we have a right to go and take care of ourselves. You know? And then whatever the outcome is, that's, how, that's where we get to choose whether we're going to be dicks about it or not. Okay? Um, but what I want to start with when I was sharing about having confidence um, about the program... Um, I haven't seen her in a couple oh I haven't seen her a couple of years, but uh, Francine, you're the first person I ever talked to when I came into OA. And it was before I ever even had been to a meeting. And I called the contact person for that meeting, and I just said, "Do I need?" I just said, "Do I need to bring anything?" And you just said, "Bring yourself." And know that you're giving yourself the greatest gift you could ever give yourself. My first thought is, well, that's pretty fucking pompous to say, like, you know, like, how do you know I'm giving myself the greatest gift I could ever give myself, you know? Um, but that meeting in Culver City saw a 21-year-old, 300-pounder who needed help. And you guys took care of me. You encouraged me to come back every week. You guys took me to fellowship. You let me ask you questions about the big book. You guys told me when I was new that I'm a baby and that I don't have to know how to do it anymore. That was the best thing I was ever told when I started this program, that I don't have to know how to do it anymore. 
You know, we have all these billboards that talk about diets, and they all tell us how to lose weight, but none of them tell us how to maintain it. And also, none of them tell us what to do when we're on these diets, and then shit happens in our lives that we've got to deal with. That is what I found here in Overeaters Anonymous. And I went to these meetings, and I, and I would sit there, and I would cry, and then, like, I lost my absence, I think, at 30, 60, 90, and then there was one... I mean, I, I knew I was done. I mean, when I went out, I went out with a bang, man. I, like... I caught my oven on fire with whatever I was trying to bake. I mean, it didn't even... <laughs> didn't even... I, didn't, I think I was eating raw bread dough. I mean, because it didn't cook right, you know? Like, that's how at the end I was at, where nothing was working. Nothing was helping me feel, like, feel, like, cut the, cut the tension, like, cut the ease that I was feeling inside myself. Nothing was working. And, um... You know, the reason why, like, I think I'm having a hard time, like, knowing what I wanted to share about was because, like, in this past year, like, I've had a lot of realizations and I've had a lot of, a lot of uh, understanding for myself. And again, this is my experience, this is my story, was that Overeaters Anonymous was the start of my recovery. And Overeaters Anonymous is what has allowed me to have a life and has allowed me to have a way of living that keeps me safe and keeps me from hurting myself as I continue to have new realizations in my life. When I came in and I got abstinent, people told me all the time, abstinence is just the beginning. Because when all I could do was think of eating food, the idea of giving it up, my life is over, man. My life is over. And you know what? I got abstinent and I started feeling really crappy. I started hating everybody. I started to have aches and pains because I used to, I was eating for a body of a 340-pound person. And then here I am not eating that kind of food anymore. What am I going to do? I was physically going through withdrawal from flour and sugar. I physically was not eating as much as, like, my, the amount of energy I was putting in my body was less. And it took me about a good year or two for my body to get used to that. I ached. My body physically ached. And I had a really rigid absence, which I, which I you know, which is how I started. But, like, it kept me not focused on the food. I was able to focus on going to meetings, doing the steps, doing the work, doing the work, doing the work, being of service, being of service, being of service. This program has saved my life. I owe my entire life to Overeaters Anonymous and the love and care that every single person has given me in this room. And um, so what it used to be like, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic household. I grew up around abuse. You know, to be quite frank, probably what most of us have been through in some capacity or another. You know, if you don't have a fucked up childhood, but you're a compulsive overeater, I might question you, but... (laughs) 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 At least not to your face, but... I'll just tell you to keep coming back. Um, So here's here's what I did as an addict. Like, I would... You know, I I, I hear a lot of people share meetings and and people... and, And in recovery, it's like, we love to talk about... Yeah, I used to, like, eat out of the trash can. I used to... You know, I would eat you know, an entire cake, and I could eat an entire pizza. I mean, I'm telling this is all the shit I did. Like, this is the stuff, this is on the surface. This is how we can relate to each other. And for me, this is what gets another compulsive overeater in the room. This is what allows us to connect with a compulsive overeater, is when we can start sharing that stuff. Like, when I was new, and even in my first couple years of recovery, the only thing I can talk about is about, you know what? Like, I used to eat like that. Or I, I would hide pieces of cake behind the toilet so my mom wouldn't see it. Or, or like, you know, getting on the subway and driving all the way down to South Street when I lived in Philly and walking like ten blocks to grab an entire pizza and a thing of Italian ice and pass all the homeless people so that I could sit there and eat by myself and that wasn't even lunch. 
I could share all that stuff. We can talk about all that stuff. I can talk about how growing up I would eat and I would eat and I would eat. And then in high school, how I started chewing and spitting food out. I got a personal trainer and I lost all the weight. I would exercise for three hours a day. I was chewing and spitting food out. I'd eat a loaf of bread and then go work out for three hours to exercise it off. Yeah, I did that. And I got a girlfriend and it was great. And then shit happens and I can't control it anymore. Just like what the big book talks about. I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And I can try to control it. I can try to control it. But at some point, I will lose it. I'm an addict. And I will, I will take anything to cut the edge off because life is so difficult. So, so this is where I'm struggling with this. Like, you know what? I could keep it light with you guys and just talk about that shit. You know, about the food. This is how we ate. But here's the thing. What was really going on? Why was I eating like that? And here's the thing, guys. I've done inventories in OA. I continue to do inventories. I continue to talk to my sponsor. I continue to write. But what is going on with me? Why, at seven years of abstinence, do I still feel like I am a mess? You know, step six, they say you work a step a year. That's what, you know, I've been told by some long-timers. And I used to be like, oh, dear God, I hope not, because that's going to take too long. You know? But it says step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Got a divorce. Left a relationship I was in for seven years that I did not want to be in. I respect and I love her, but I didn't want to be with her. And um, it's not that my life fell apart, but I was falling apart. Step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. It's taken me seven years to realize I'm not the one that removes these defects of character. I have to be willing to own up and accept the fact that these things are who I am. The good, the bad, the ugly. And the good, the bad, and the ugly is what colors me and makes me who I am. And maybe it's not good or bad. Maybe it's just things that worked at one time that don't work now. But here's the question. Why did I eat as a kid? Is it because I'm a compulsive overeater? Yes. What that tells me is that all the craziness going on around me, this was the choice that I made to deal with everything that was going on around me. And this was my choice and my way of dealing with everything that happened to me up to the time that I joined Overeaters Anonymous at 21 years old. One of the newest realizations that I've had, and um, I'm trying not to cross into other programs, but the thing is, is like my food eating was a symptom of larger problems. And for the longest time, I talked about my dad's alcoholism. I talked about the abuse growing up or, you know, how at times my dad had touched me inappropriately. Like, you guys have heard that, that stuff, you know? Um, and one thing that, you know, when my dad, he got sober, but he never worked a program. So I've seen a dry drunk. You want to see a compulsive overeater abstinent but not working the steps? It's called a diet. That's a dry drunk. And even in absence of seven years, I can be a dry drunk. There are days where I'm a dry drunk and I'm an asshole. But my mom got really depressed when my dad stopped drinking. What is she going to do now? Who is she going to fix? But I remember through most of my life, my mom was always depressed. And my parents never slept in the same bed. They didn't really have a relationship. And I would go into my, and I was the middle kid, my mom was the middle kid, so, you know, she could relate to me. 
So I, I have that experience of, you know, knowing, like, emotional incest is inappropriate growing up, but how do, you, how do you handle that as a kid when you just feel like something's wrong? You eat. I remember going, you know, my mom would sleep all the time. I remember going in her room just to get her to wake up, just to pay attention to us. She made me rub her arm. So what did I do to deal with the loneliness? I ate. Because I needed to eat. Because I had no one teaching me how to live. I had no one teaching me what is living. To me, living is that life happens and we take it head on. And we deal with it. And we process it and we're present for it and we deal with it as it comes. And it's just so ironic the way, like, for me and my compulsive release, like, it's stuffing food down my throat. But it's stuffing. It's stuffing feelings. It's stuffing thoughts. It's stuffing ideas. It's stuffing my voice. And my mom would tuck me in a bed at night. It was, it was, you know, she'd lay there and tuck me in, and you know, she, I'd practically be spooning her when she'd rub my arm until I fall asleep. I wasn't getting anything from my dad. These are the realizations that I'm having as seven years of abstinence. And here's the thing: it's like I still come in, and I'm like, let this shit fix me. I want to be fixed. My OA sponsor, you know, I had one sponsor I worked with for four years, and I recently changed sponsors about half a year ago. I'm not sure. And, um, so it just wasn't working anymore. And my unwillingness to change sponsors, even though it wasn't working for me, is a sign of my disease. Because I make my flies down. I'm going to fix that real quick. <laughs> I could have done that because I'm behind a podium, but you wouldn't have noticed it, but... My thought process is, it has to be vocalized. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is never done. And what that means to me is that God always has something better in store for me than what I'm able to do for myself. What that means for me is that I'm going to keep coming across things in my life that aren't working. Not because I'm doing it wrong, but because there's ways that God can allow me to do it better. You know, I I have walked around in this program for seven years and a healthy body weight, and there's times where I definitely think I have it together. And there's times, you know, not really with the food. I'm always scared of the food, even now. You know, but there was a part of me that felt like I have these spiritual principles. Like, I get it. I get the principles, and I can and I can follow them. But at seven years, you know, when you get into an extremely heated argument with your girlfriend, and it ends up with within an altercation where at some point I had pushed her physically, that's when I know I have issues. And the whole point of me saying, "You all can sit there and judge me all you want," I don't give a shit. Go home and write about me. <laughs> you know I really don't care my point in sharing that is that I've experienced and I've seen and I've had sponsees and people in this program who have been abstinent and lost weight and working the steps and they leave because they fuck up somewhere in life and they think that they should have had it right we get to stay abstinent and work through life here that's what I can tell you I thought I had to be perfect I ate growing up so that I could hold myself to that standard that I needed to hold myself to so that I could take care of my family as I thought I had to. 
I ate so I didn't have to feel all that emptiness. And you know what? I thought I was eating to like fill the God-sized hole. But like what I was doing was eating to stuff that feeling that I just don't exist. So my point is, for myself, this program, these 12 steps, my compulsive overeating, which is a symptom of my spiritual disease, goes really, really, really deep. And I talk to my OA sponsor about it all the time, and one day he said to me when I was just frustrated about my life and everything, he goes, and he goes Matt, you're an important person with important things to say and do today. Like, when he said that, I just lost it, you know. And um, I say that to myself now. You know, I'm an important person with important things to say and do today. I'm an important person with important things to say and do today. Because I don't have this, man. I don't have that button inside me that says I know how to do life. I'm just now learning at seven years, like, what it is that I need to, like, fix myself, you know, or, like, feel better. Like, I still act out. Like, someone said it to me when I was really new. An addict is the simplest definition of an addict I've ever heard. An addict is someone who seeks something physical to fix a problem that is emotional and spiritual. I'm like, God, I'm an addict in every single way of my life. And, um, so, like, you know, my sponsor, you know, one thing they say about relation, in relationships and things like that, they're like, oh, we'll read page 417, even in a way, like, we definitely love, you know, I love, you know, my sponsees when I have my life going on and they need help. It's like, I love just giving them, you know what, go to page 417 and read it. Read page 60 through 63 about how selfish and self-centered you are. That'll fix it. And you know what? I don't want to talk to my sponsees anyway, so it's like, God, just go read the big book. You know? Go write about it. Go, like, be of service to somebody. You know? It's like, that's the simple shit. But when I take the time to, like, actually carry the program, when I'm willing to share my experience, my history, my experience, and say, this is what I did... Like, page 417, it's all about acceptance. And I was realizing, why don't I like... I, I love it. I love the page 417 on acceptance. Like, the two pages, like, it, it, we all talk about it in me. And you're like, yes, I just read on acceptance, and I felt so much better. <laughs> like, I've never felt better after reading page 417. All I'm reminded of is how I don't know how to accept. That's all I'm reminded of when I read this shit. You know? I'm like, okay... It says, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. So here's the thing. It's like, what is acceptance? How do I come to find acceptance? You know, and these, these are the thoughts that, that come, come to my head. It's like, how do I find acceptance in my life of the things that I don't like? I don't know how just to accept. Because my thing is, I think that it has to get fixed in order for me to accept it. Or that it has to be different. That cuts right into this idea that I am not enough. That cuts into that whole idea that I am not enough. Therefore, these other things have to line up in order for me to be okay. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> like... The whole thing is, I walk around with so much anxiety at times because I feel like I am just not enough as I am. 
And because I'm not enough as I am, I have to arrange the people, places, and things in my life to fit. Because I am not enough. Then it goes on, he goes on to talk about, like, acceptance has been the answer to my marital problems. It's as though AA had given me a new pair of glasses. And it talks about how he, he, he first used to see the beautiful things in her, and then as he was drinking, he started to see all her defects, and they just got bigger and bigger. And, he, you know, he goes on again to talk about how acceptance is the answer to all my problems. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit and do nothing while waiting for him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever is in front of me to be done, and I leave the results up to him. However it turns out, that's God's will for me. I don't know how to do whatever is in front of me. Even in absence, and even with working the steps, how do I go about doing whatever is in front of me? I am scared. I am a fraud. I was 340 pounds and I walk around in a healthy body weight. I get women that make comments to me. I don't know what to do with that. I worked in West Hollywood. Men made comments to me. I didn't know what to do with that. The real reason why I can walk around feeling like a fraud isn't because I was 340 pounds. I was 340 pounds because I felt like I was a fraud. Or I felt like I didn't matter. And the ways and means in which that all came about to be part of my psyche is something that I get to work through with my therapist and my sponsor. But for me, this whole idea of accepting the world around me, it first starts with me being able to accept myself. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because if I can accept myself, then that means that I am okay just the way I am. I'm okay whether life looks the way it looks. I'm okay whether I'm married or not. I'm okay whether I have a girlfriend or not. I'm okay whether I'm taking the metro or take or riding a car. I thought with time and program, maybe I'd be able to get a better car and have a better job. <laughs> I sold my car. I take the metro. And I'm, a, I'm not even a server at a restaurant, guys. I'm a busser. And I'm 30. But I'm also pursuing my dreams. I'm also moving closer and closer to doing the creative things that I want to do. I'm also more okay with who I am today than I've ever been. And I don't know how to always act right. But I am grateful by the grace of God today that I'm willing to do the footwork to learn how to do it right. And to truly accept that I just don't have the tools and to be okay with that. But that you all give me that. And here's the thing about resentments and the fourth step and, and the fifth step. And, you know, I, I, those things I just shared about my mom, like, I'm not angry at my mother. I've done my inventory. Those are things that I have to deal with within myself. The whole thing about an inventory, it's not about, like, beating ourselves up. For me, it's about all these people I have resentments towards. It's about, you know what, I ha maybe even some of those are justifiable resentments. But the more I can see my part, I'm like, well, damn, well, Matt, you're just human. Matt, you're just human. Matt, you're just human. They're human, too. Matt, you're just human. They're human. Wait. They're human, too. Acknowledging my part is about releasing myself of all the pain that I feel towards other people. Because a resentment is just me living it over and over and over again, and I don't get to get on with my life. 
You know, we talk about abstinence, and some people work the steps before they get abstinent. All I know for myself is that in order for me to find a power greater than myself, food has to stop being my higher power. I went to that Sunday meeting fucking crazy for like two years. So I wasn't eating. And I was crazy. People in these rooms saw me. I was crazy. But I was abstinent. And my, you know, when I would speak at a meeting, my sponsor would say, why are you, he goes, why are you scared? I'm like, well, I'm just nervous. He goes, Matt, you're in a room with a bunch of people who clap for themselves for doing what they should be doing anyways, which is not overeating. <laughs> All my sponsors were very hardcore AA crossovers, you know. I actually pray and meditate today. Not every day. I'm so grateful that I'm abstinent. I'm so grateful that I get to live my life. I'm so grateful that I get to live a life that has problems in it. Where before the only problem was the food. If you're new, be new. They said, whatever step you're on is exactly where you need to be. And revel in it. Revel in whatever step you're on because this is your chance to get it. When you're powerless, you go to those meetings and you cry and you yell and you scream and you be powerless. But you know what? Work with a sponsor while you're doing it. My sponsor said, you don't go into a meeting, you don't go into someone's living room and vomit on their floor and expect other people to clean it up. He said, one minute on the problem and two minutes on the solution. And I know I sound crass and, and hard, but like, my disease is loud. I have a disease in my thinking that stops me from living the life that God really intends for me to live. You know, step two, came to believe in a power greater than ourselves. It's like, you guys were my higher power when I came in. I could believe in you because I saw people who were losing weight and keeping it off. Even making a decision to turn my will and my life over, it was very literal. For me, that meant that I just did the inventory. All right, I'm willing to turn it over to something. Maybe just this work. I'll tell you what happened this past year. Like, I'm, I was 340 pounds, and um, there's so much I want to share with you guys. You know, I thought, like, I'd lose the weight and I would get it. I thought something would happen because my whole life was about losing the weight because then my life would be better. And my life is substantially better because I'm not 340 pounds anymore. I'm not going to lie. It changes a lot. But it took me seven years to go out to the beach and to lay by myself and to take my shirt off. And I got in the ocean. And I hadn't been in the ocean in probably... 15 years. But I had to go and do it by myself when I was ready to do it. And it was me sitting on the beach with my shirt on, listening to music, and then it was me sitting there longer looking at everyone around me, and there really weren't that many people. And then I took my shirt off and I sat there, and I was looking around, and I finally laid down just like lay on my back and I cried and I cried and I cried 
And it was like baptismal. Like a layer of shame that I am this hard person started to lift. And I went and I got an ocean and I swam. You know, real recovery for myself, I think it has to come through my sponsor, it has to come through the step work. But all it comes is through us being willing to just be honest with ourselves and accept ourselves just a little bit at a time. I work with World Service with young people and I get calls and I calls and emails from all over the country about people who see their kids struggling with this. And it's the sad thing is really the only truth is they're gonna get it when they get it. Because, like, what this is, is this is my journey. It's your journey. This is my journey. That's your journey. Like, you guys are all my heroes. You know, the hero's journey, and there's very specific things that happen in the hero's journey. When you stick around in these rooms, you know, for me, we each become each other's heroes. A lot of people that died in my life this year... My grandmother passed away who had really bad Alzheimer's. She got, had Alzheimer's. But my mom and I were looking through all these old letters and stuff. And she had all these books on reducing. And all these letters from her mom telling her how she should reduce and lose weight. And she never got a message. And um, I am who I am today. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um... But I'm starting to not just love myself, but I'm starting to be myself. And that's because of this program and um, the 12 steps. So thank you.